and welcome to this, the third episode in this brand new second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Ogue-McAnally, artistic director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar and as always this second season is brought to you with the generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland and as ever we are giving this to you absolutely free of charge we've promised that we'll never ever charge for these podcasts but again as we do each week we are asking you to go and to support Irish theatre the whole point and ethos behind this podcast is to support promote and celebrate all that's great about Irish theatre and the easiest way for you to go and support is of course to go and buy yourself some theatre tickets. Maybe that's top price tickets to the Abbey or the Gate. Maybe it's uh, maybe more reasonable price tickets at some of the smaller fringe venues. And you know what? Even if theatre tickets are slightly out of your price bracket this week or this month, there are ways you can go and support for slightly less. Maybe go on over to one of the crowdsourcing websites, the Indiegogos or the Fundits of the World, and see if there's a theatre project over there. You can support donations often start from as low as a fiver and there are always great rewards and one that I will be supporting uh, in the next week is from the great Maria Guyver uh, for their production of After the End by Dennis Kelly which I was lucky enough to catch uh, I guess about a year ago at the Lear um, and it was a phenomenal production of a cracking play by a brilliant writer uh, and they're taking that back on the road and so that is one that is very very worthy of your support if you have a few bob to spare at the moment but of course there are many ways you can support without putting your hand in your pocket go and tell people about this podcast over a pint over a cup of coffee over a stroll by the beach maybe um, a good way to help is to subscribe to this podcast the subscriptions push us up in the charts and the more popular we can get the more widely we can spread the word about Irish theatre so you spread the word about us we spread the word about the theatre and everything all works out brilliantly so yeah go and subscribe over on iTunes um, go back and listen to our previous episodes both in this second series and back in the first series uh, as well um, you can leave us a review over on iTunes that's a big help and if you don't have time for that you can simply click to rate us on their five star rating system it is a one click deal it'll take one second of your time um, and then of course you can always follow us on Facebook we are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland or you can follow us on Twitter we are at Rise Ireland and so it has been another busy week for us here at Rise we are up to our eyes in the middle of the tour of Christian O'Reilly's The Good Father we have been all over the place this week we started off the week in Galway and we've subsequently been all over the place as you listen to us we're heading off to Armagh tonight Friday uh, to play the Marketplace Theatre up there and we will be in Limerick tomorrow at the Lime Tree so it's been a, a busy hectic week we've been to Glore in Ennis we've been to Newbridge we've been all over, all over the place this week so I'm a little bit rattled I'm a little bit all over the place but we're getting there we're keeping the keeping the heads down and getting the work done and it's great because the show is going brilliantly audiences are adoring it we're getting great houses we're getting standing ovations every night and people are really really responding to the play um, which is massively gratifying and look it's no great shock it's a crack and play to begin with as we all know and it's two fantastic performances from Liam Heslin and Rachel O'Byrne so I'm just I'm delighted that it's really connecting with audiences and that people are having 
having a good time with it. And, uh, you know, we've got another couple of weeks left on the tour, so uh, hopefully you guys can get out and get a chance to come and join us and see us on the road. For those of you based around Dublin, we're going to be in the Pavilion in Dunleary on the 29th, and then we finish up with a week over in Tala in the Civic um, from December 5th to December 9th. And you would all be very welcome to come and join us and see this great show. So that's our week, but now we have to come to this week's guest, which is, of course, the brilliant Stephen Jones, a guy who is on a real serious role at the moment, um, going from gig to gig and, and working that great, uh, balancing act between getting these great leading roles on stage but also doing quite a bit on screen at the moment too um, a guy who made serious waves in Red Rock and has been doing movies and stuff and also working on his own stuff I, and again this is going to be a bit of a trend through this season I feel that the guys and girls who are out there just getting up and making it happen and Jonesy apart from being a good pal and, and a great actor is a guy whose who's work ethic and whose hustle I really admire he's a guy who goes out there and gets it done and uh, you'll hear him talk about that quite a bit in this interview and it's it's great. I think it's a, it's a real kind of um, it's a real injection in the arm of energy for the rest of us to go. You know what? Let's just get up and, and do it and make it happen. This is a guy who is an exceptionally talented actor, an award winning writer as well, uh, and a real inspiration. So look, as ever, let's get straight into it. Here it is: the brilliant Stephen Jones. The wonderful Stephen Jones. How the fuck are you, baby? I'm very well, thanks very much for having Excellent. me, Angus, Doug, McAnally. Uh, so, let us start, as we always do, take me back to the beginning. When and where did you decide that maybe life in the theatre world was for you? Um, well, it would have been Dramsock and UCD. Right. But before we get into that, I think it would have been actually a strange rejection that I'd had as a second year student in Tala Community School. A romantic projection? No, no, no. A, a theatre rejection. <laughs> nice. uh, which, which often hurts even more. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I remember because uh, I was always uh, outgoing and I tried out for uh, I tried out what am I American? I auditioned for um, Oliver the School Musical yes. in second year and uh, it was between me and another guy for Artful Dodger. Yeah. He couldn't he couldn't he could sing his singing was worse than mine he couldn't do a Cockney accent and uh, he got the role and I don't know how so I got a tiny little part and uh, I was in the chorus and I really enjoyed it but then musicals everything, every other musical that followed after that I had no interest in Right. so I didn't do anything but at the time I, I was making looking back I was making short films with my mates I was writing scripts really I was doing impressions and you know I would be watching Apre Match and just copying all yeah. those guys so it was obviously in there but it was in um, in UCD I had been uh in a writing group as a teenager and the kind of mentor of the group if you like a guy called Larry O'Loughlin he said to me oh you're going to UCD you should uh, during Freshers Week you should join Dramsock and I said oh well I've, I don't really do any acting or anything. Yeah. he said no no in case you uh, you might want to write a play one day my daughter was a writer and she joined Dramsock and put plays on I said alright so I joined Dramsock and Freshers Week and yeah. one of the 50 societies that you join <laughs> And did nothing about it for the first couple of months. And what did you go on to study in the first place? English and history. Okay. Because I thought an arts degree, and used to, I wanted to go to UCD, just like the vibe of it. And I thought an arts degree leaves you kind of open, could be yeah. a teacher, journalist, some form of yeah. writer. And uh, yeah, it was a, bit, a month or two in, and it was the first time in my life I ever felt a bit isolated there. Or I was a good mixer with people. I'd played with, you know, soccer teams and... And here I was in this big place and it was only eight, eight hours a week in lectures yeah. and 400 people in a lecture and you couldn't really connect. And I was kind of two buses from Tala and two yeah. buses back and I was just kind of struggling for the first time. And um, I happened to randomly see a poster for auditions for 12 Angry Men. 
Wow. It was one of my favourite movies. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? This would be a bit of crack to audition for this. No one knows me. If it goes tits up, who cares? <laughs> yeah. And I ended up, yeah, ended up getting the, the lead role, the Henry Fonda part. Wow. And of the 12 guys that were in the play, I think uh, there's two lads from Foil Arms and Hog, myself, Killian Scott, Roman Raftery, um, Dahi McSwivena, like six or seven. What, whatever happened to any of them? Oh, yeah, Jesus. Andrew Nolan. There was like six or seven who are in, in the biz full time. It seems to me that periodically there's like waves of like a whole wave of people come through Dramsock and come out and take over the world it, but it feels like your gang in particular that kind of, it feels like around that generation there was like a whole load of people that came through yeah there was so there's, there's people that are kind of two three years ahead of me yeah. who would have went down to drama school in London so by the time you become kind of one of the top boys in Dramsock yeah. you're going well that's the natural path oh god I can do this for a living can I yeah. And you know you do the thing where seven or eight years are preparing auditions for Lambda and Rada, yeah. and you, you do that, and half years get in and half don't. And um, and then even like the three or four years then, when I was in my third or fourth year in college, the people who were coming through hmm. are people you'll probably have on this podcast and this series, like they're, you know, your Katrina Ennis's and Ian Toners and Gavin Dreas, these kind of people. So. Um, and it's amazing I would know the stories about like Chris O'Dowd and Rory Nolan because yeah. my mates who were in fourth year when I was in first year would know them yeah of course and, then, and so it goes on so like all the people that were three or four years younger than me they they know or heard the stories of the people that were three or four years older than me yeah, so course. everyone knows each other it's in them. that ten year span you know yeah. Um, so yeah and that huge influence on each other to say um, what are you going to do when you finish your degree? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to drama school in London yeah. or whatever. Yeah. What what to be an actor? Like, well, yeah, why not? And yeah. then then I was like, oh, maybe you know. So well then okay so take us back through some more of the the drama stuff. stuff. Haven't had your first taste of it then. Mm-hmm. Like catapulted the lead role territory. Did you instantly go? Yeah, actually, this feels right. Let's keep going with this. Or was the writing thing still strong for you at that stage? Or was it a mix of both? Or what? Well, it, in a kind of romantic looking back on it way, I do remember doing 12 Angry Men and my parents coming to see it and I don't know what they expected, but it was actually a really, really good show. Yeah. And I remember coming out to meet them uh, after the show and they were just like looking at me like I was a different person. They were really blown away and it was, and so were my friends from Tala and it was, it was, it was sincere. It was the, the type of reaction that no one can fake. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that was interesting. And then all the guys were uh, asking me, will, will, will we audition for another play and all that? And I kind of thought, I oh, know, I think that's probably it. And that's then, the bucket list ticked off? Yeah, I was kind of, and then they, I was kind of talked into doing something else. And uh, I didn't do very much in my first year. I did I did a, an original monologue by one of the guys um, called Simon Tierney. And then in my the second semester after Christmas, uh, I was kind of... Uh, I did a, I did a play that was written by a guy called Neil Sharpson. who's a who's a playwright, an original play, and that's where I struck up my friendship with Dave Fleming. We were the two lead roles. We were kind of a, a yin and a yang, kind of odd <laughs> couple kind of vibe. And then I did Streetcar Named Desire just purely because I was in that phase where I was I done on the waterfront for my leaving cert, and I thought Marlon Brando. I thought I was the first one to discover how great he was. Absolutely. You know? So yeah, um, and then 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 I was completely hooked because it wasn't just. The acting side of it, drum sock was. I was going to college, yeah. so I could go down and hang around with all these people, and I was making friends and uh, very much the social aspect of it as well. So, talk to me then about 
having done the degree to choose to then go and do the masters how when did that happen immediately after or was it a while later no straight away because i did three years of the arts degree and then what happened was i auditioned for all the acting schools in london yeah and flew to london 10 times or whatever right. so i got to the final round of like landa and stuff and didn't get in um and was kind of going what this is not the way it's supposed to be i thought they were going to open the gates and you know <laughs> welcome to rada and it didn't happen and looking back at it now my parents could never have afforded it yeah. anyway so it was a blessing but what happened was i um i got a grant to do the masters right right so that was paid for plus it was a masters in creative writing so i thought it was a good degree to have i'm getting paid to do it it keeps me in in college yeah plus my thesis was already finished because my final thesis was two plays, and I'd already written two plays in Dramstock that had won national college awards. Jesus. So my final, my final thesis for my master's was basically just writing an introduction. Really? Uh, to these two plays and why they were connected and what they were about and yeah. what I was trying to say. And um, obviously we had projects along yeah, the sure, course but of still, the semester. But the bulk of the work was done. All done. So Damn. I thought, this is great. I can audition for things. Yeah. I can, if I want to, you know, I, and I, what did I do? Yeah, I I, uh, I put plays on yeah. in Dramstock. I acted in a few, and at that time as well, um, that was when I kind of formed a friendship with Peter Coonan. He had been in Dramstock, but it was wasn't the mainstay. He'd only pop down maybe do one play a year, yeah. every now and again, and he was a lead role in a play that I wrote. And off the back of that, we got introduced to Mark O'Connor. Yeah. Who was coming was a friend of a friend he came to see peter in a play because he had this idea for a script which became between the canals yeah and from between the canals then that got me one or two little openings where i thought you know what i'm just gonna stay in dublin i'm not gonna audition for acting school in london when did you do between the canals then is that was that still during the masters or after the masters um i think that was well yeah what happened was during the masters we went out for free because i had no money yeah and um, the film board said they liked the idea but they didn't they weren't sure yeah. so what happened was Mark said look it's about to feel so any chance you guys can come out and we'll shoot a couple of days or whatever two days in and around Sheriff Street to get to what the film is going to yeah. look like and we did that for free there was me Peter and a guy called Dan Highland who's not an actor right um, he was just from the area and the three of us went out and, and shot some footage and it was good enough that the film board came back and said look you can have a hundred grand Okay. to go and make it and we just thought that was great so by the time it got made properly that was just after my masters had finished okay alright yeah, so that would have been the summer of 2008 or 9 one of those yeah and at that stage that was the, that was the kicker for you went right okay never mind going away to auditioning rails let's stay here and work yeah well because Between the Canals was funny in that it was um, in a way narratively it's sort of all over the shop in one sense but that's the charm of it that's what's yeah. good about it it has an energy and it was kind of wild and then what happened uh, Maureen Hughes and Dave Caffrey and uh, Stuart Carolyn they yes. had a look at it and they, they loved the movie because they wanted Love Hate Season 2 to develop into something that looked like that Yeah, that was a little bit more rough around the edge because if you looked at Season 1 of Love Hate it was very good but the criticism was always that it was too nice it was too too, TV. too clean yeah. and you know everyone's teeth were too perfect so they had to get the gurriers in <laughs> so I remember getting a call I had no agent really? but I got a call or an email saying can I come in to audition for Love Hate and I thought this is it and at the time uh, Between the Canals had been kind of sold as it's, it's, it's not really actors oh okay so people weren't sure yeah 
and so me and Peter went in and uh, they didn't know whether we were actors or just lads from the north inner city which neither of us are yeah. and um, so yeah and I remember Peter I don't think had an agent at the time I didn't and we had callbacks and a second callback and it was sort of between me and him for the role of Fran right? even though I was probably not really close to it I mean he was kind of perfect and I remember we were texting each other back and forth. Any news, any news? And he'd tell me that he got us. But almost straight away, I got a phone call to say, look, we want you to be involved some way, somehow. Yeah. So um, so that's how I ended up with a small role in, uh, in Love, Hate. And then um, from there, it was just kind of a lot of, doing a lot of profit share theatre and just trying to eke my way up yeah. the ladder. <laughs> As we all do. Mm. Um, having decided not to go and do not to go and train in London was there ever a thought of training here or did it get to the point where you're going well I'm just I'm doing it anyway so why not just keep going and learn on the job yeah I just I thought that um, not, in a, not in a kind of a, a cocky way it's really not but I, I thought that like I'm, I'm learning uh, as I go and I'm improving all the time and the other thing about a dram sock is God you can make so many mistakes but I look back on some of the roles that I played and if you don't learn from them what are you doing I mean I God played Iago, Macbeth, Stanley and Streetcar, uh, George and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, yeah. Jerry and the Zoo Story. Like, you know, if you, like, and then I was working with all these kind of um, very kind of seasoned actors, but who were at a certain level. Yeah. And um, that's not meant in a disrespectful way. It was just, I was, I was learning from people all the time. And I'm, I'm really like that. I like sponge, soak everything up. And I was always getting better. And I'd always been quite focused on where I want to go. Yeah. So I knew that it was, if I just kept improving, not that there was no point in training, I would have loved to have trained. Um, but I got to a stage then where I was like doing a bit of TV, um, doing a bit of theatre, people were starting to pay a little bit of attention. I got an agent and it was like, you know, you're 24, 25, 26 and you're going, Do you know what, I haven't, the, yeah. I haven't the time or the money. Yeah. I'm just going to keep, keep doing away. what you're doing. Yeah. And also, like you say, I mean, because I think one of the big advantages of doing the formal training in a drama school is that because for the most part you know you'll have 10 or 15 people who are all probably late teens early 20s that you do get cast in those parts that you're not right for mm. right at those big roles that you're talking about because you're too young to play them and whatever else but it's in it's in doing them and stretching yourself that you learn the huge amount because you know that's the point where you get to go okay I'm reaching for something here I may not fucking get there but at least I'm reaching for it and I think that that's I mean that's one of the key parts of training anyway so if you've got that done and you are out there working, then why not just keep it all taken over? Yeah, and I mean, I, I've i never really... It's funny, I, I, talking to friends of mine who are in Dramsock, so in the same boat as me, but that went to train, they obviously are, you know, convinced that training is the way forward. But it's like anything, it's, it's whatever suits you. And I always say that about acting. No matter what an actor has to do, any little extra percentage, even if it's a placebo effect, yeah. that makes you feel better about a particular performance or role or what you're doing, then absolutely use it. Yeah. So I have to believe that not training is the right thing for me because yeah. I haven't. <laughs> so, I, you know... It's worked out all right for you so far. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I, And then, you know, the other, the other side of it is that um, I, think it is, I think it is important to, uh, to improve and to train and to use anything you can. Like, I don't dismiss any, any methods or what people do. But I also know that I have just one or two guys who were in, in Dramstock with me who would have been, you know, the top actors at yeah. the time. And they went to train and it completely 
crush them. They don't yeah. they don't do theatre anymore. Yeah. Um, and they you know whether it be a breaking down of what they had or whether it be uh, being told because of how you look you're not going to get a part yeah. until you're in your forties or whatever it was. There was um, so there's there's that as well. I think it's whatever works is a yeah. good slogan for acting. Yeah, I think so too. Um, talk to me then about highlights for you or moments where you went yeah this is happening for me now in that in those first few years of kind of doing what you know like we all do you're kind of going like say taking those profit share gigs you know getting parts here and there is there any are there moments along that way where you went okay i was confident before this but now i feel like this is really like i'm i'm doing something right here were there any moments where it felt like it was really gelling for you um yeah it's funny because it's it's a it's something i try and focus on now it's just you know you focus on the job that you're on yeah and it gets harder when you start getting uh, well-paid gigs or you start doing more work that you're thinking, oh, what will I do now next year? Who, where I'm going to work here and here and here as opposed to just focusing. So when I was doing profit share shows in like the new theatre and all, I just thought that was the most important thing. I wasn't aware of everyone in the industry. I wasn't aware of every actor. I wasn't aware of anything. Yeah. I was just doing it. So, um, but I remember uh, always being conscious then of uh, how to take advantage of situations. So, for example, one moment where I thought, this is a good idea, this is going to gel, is I was asked to go in and audition for um, a production of Danny and Chantel, still yes. here, by Philly McMahon. And it wasn't for a huge amount of money, but you know, we did all right out of it. And it was going to be on set on the dance floor of Reroz, and I thought that was a good idea, in the round. And I really liked uh, Eva Jane Gaffney, was a friend of mine. And... I met her actually in the factory. That was a big thing. I'd been invited down to the actor's studio in the factory yeah. before Bow Street was a thing and a yeah. course. And so that felt like I was part of a group that was being selected to be kind of like, you guys are talented. These are going places, you know. Yeah. And it was a look at the people who are in it, you know, um, who are flying now and off in Hollywood and fair play to them. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so I thought that was great because I was doing, I was going to be doing a Philly McMahon play while Philly's Alice in Thunderland was on on the Abbey stage. Yes, that's right. So it meant that there was, there could be a way to take advantage of that and that Philly was very proud of Danny and Chantel. He loved our production of it. Yeah. Um, and was getting people over to see it and invited us over to do a little excerpt after at, uh, work. Oh yeah. In the Peacock. So that was a that was a great opportunity because that was a night when people were like, hey, who, who's that guy? Yeah. Literally, because Annie Ryan was there standing next to my agent at the time, Theresa King. Wow. And she's like, you know, who's that guy? And she's like, that's my client. What do you want? How, what do you need him in? And she's like, I'd love, to, I'd love to see him for Dubliners. Yeah. So Dubliners then in the theatre festival was one of the first, uh, that was my first major theatre gig. Right. And I remember the day I got the phone call. That was the real, you know, you don't celebrate getting the good news as much now yeah. but that was one where it was like screaming down the phone whoa yes come on because it was huge I mean it was it was the first like it was the, all that joy stuff had just come free to be adapted and stuff hadn't it yeah. and, and it was going to be festival and the gaiety am I right in the gaiety yeah the gaiety yeah the headline show at the festival yeah, um, yeah it was and, a huge and deal it was, it was huge and it was, it was a, an interesting mix in that I think one of the reasons uh, I probably got my part in it was because I had I'd studied Joyce, yeah. so knew it inside out. Yeah. And um, but that was a real confidence boost because it's funny you're always auditioning against your your pals um, all the time, but at that stage, uh, that was my first real gig. So even just seeing the caliber of actor that was in before me and after me and auditioning with me, yeah, 
to be told, no, we want you to be in this, you know, and we're not taking no for an answer, yeah. was kind of like, okay, this is how I'm going to approach. I'm going to approach everything as if I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get the role. I'm right yeah. for the role. So that was a real uh, confidence boost for sure. Uh, how did you find working in the style with Annie? Loved it, yeah. I loved it. And I learned loads from the people who had done workshops because I'd never done a Commedia workshop yeah. before. And it was great. I've worked with him several times since uh, with Marco Halloran. It just uh, interesting to learn about, because usually you hear this thing about not being selfish. Mm. Don't be a selfish actor. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's great. And uh, I remember having a, a funny little thing with him. I'm going, you keep... You are st- jumping on top of me every time and, and, and doing funny things and he goes ah but in Commedia it's competitive in a, in a not in a unselfish way but it's like going if I do something big when you're doing something well what are you going to do about it yeah and it was almost like like a rap battle territory like yeah, throwing yeah, it throwing yeah, down the exactly gauntlet. yeah and yeah. it was almost like that was that was put into us and it was like the gauntlet was thrown down but it was it was done to kind of bring out uh a bigger reaction in some of us that weren't used to it and that was I almost feel like that was done on purpose right okay so then it was like oh okay we're doing it like that are we <laughs> and then all of a sudden though it became the machine yeah you know where we were working together so it was it, it was trying to outdo each other but in in the right way yeah well because it's it is that thing if it's for the if it's what's best for the scene and what's best for the show then it works and you know you're all you're all pulling in the same direction exactly and then if it ever gets uh, ridiculous or silly yeah. that's when Annie pulls you back a little bit but you know when you're getting a note that at the, in rehearsals for something like Canadian there's nothing you can do that's going to be too big yeah. you got to go for it you know yeah. and uh, and I loved it yeah mad show like a lot of I wish I wish I had to come back but it was yeah. it was big yeah exactly um, I want to talk to you a bit about the writing end of things because so you have this background talk like you know we have a degree in English we now have the masters in creative writing you've been putting on plays that you'd written yourself in Dramsock now that you're kind of out and you are on the scene and you are getting more established when did you think to yourself maybe I should get back to writing again and uh, and, and putting shows on um, yeah well I had I'd wanted to write a play for for years to put on, but it was that thing of always getting little bits and bobs of acting jobs and not really knowing how to go about it. And because um, I'd had a play that I'd written in UCD, and I sent it off to every company as you do, not yeah. thinking nothing of it. And literally two days after I'd sent it out, I got a phone call from Thomas Conway, who at the time was the literary manager at Druid. Yeah, wanting it to be a Druid debut. Really? And like you're 21 going, <laughs> Drew would want to read my play. Okay. You know. And, That's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, so there I was in Galway and my family came down. Michael Murphy's directing Ronan Leahy and Brian Gleeson reading your play. Wow. And I was kind of, it was a real, um, it was funny because, again, I knew, who, I knew who they were, I knew they were big, but it's, you're not, you're not thinking about it too much. You're almost going, well, are, they, are they mad? Like, what's the, you know, I just felt like I was pulling the wool over everyone's eyes. <laughs> um, but it was mad. There you are having these kind of professional people uh, talking about, and why is this Oscar Wilde reference in here? And I'm going, oh, that's just a lyric I heard Damien Dempsey sing. Like, I wasn't, you know, they're talking about social commentary and subtext, yeah. and, and these are all things that I wasn't thinking. I was just writing a story about two brothers, two heads yeah. in, in a flat. 
And um, but I learned loads from that. So I really thought that I would I would be writing. After that, I would just you know. But then you know acting gets in the way, and you know you're writing stuff and you're not happy with it. And I kind of left it aside for a good while. Yeah. But what happened was then I struck up a friendship with uh, Carl Shields, and um, you know many a conversation over a point saying. No, I must write something for you because he remembered reading that script. Right. And him and Liam Carney, when I first met them years ago, joking that it's a pity they were too old to play the brothers in it. And uh, so, yeah, just years and years of, oh, no, I'll write something. I'll write something for Titter Upstairs. And um, then I got to a stage where I got serious about it and it was because of what I was acting in. I'd been very lucky in that I'd been in um, Alone at Stands and Stones in His Pockets and Ikeno. But I would find myself talking to people who I really admired uh, writers and directors who I wanted to work with and it was like they were like I didn't know you did anything but comedy wow okay yeah I remember I remember actually well, it was after I wrote From Eden um, but I wrote that in the first place to be like uh, I wanted it I got the idea for it uh, I wanted to write a play um, for myself and Shauna like to be in uh, in one room in one setting to make something very small mm. be dramatic uh, Carl wanted to direct it and we did it in theatre upstairs but even when that was after that was on I remember talking to Marco Rowe and he was going oh that's that's gas I just thought you did comedy you <laughs> that's know that's amazing and you're kind of going so that was one of the reasons as well I wanted to just be uh, a character in my own accent where my accent had no connotation either okay because you know it's one of the little It's I mean that's one of the things uh, even though I've done lots of different various things um, I'm definitely it's definitely a uh, handy tool yeah for me is that the kind of working class dub character yeah is when I'm often casting yeah and that's fine as long as it's good it's a good part and you can, yeah. you can break the stereotypes but that's one of, I suppose that's one of uh, one of the characters that's that's strong so I wanted it to be able to be in my own accent but a guy where it wasn't about where he was from and it to be a kind of dramatic piece so in a way the play was determined by where I was at acting wise and what I wanted to do as an actor Mm. as opposed to thinking what? myself as a writer oh, yeah. again that's really intriguing mm. amazing um, that that show worked out alright for you didn't it Jonesy it, yeah like so surprised I remember us reading it uh, for Carl and Laura at Theatre Upstairs the first time and the play took such a weird twist in the middle of it and I was going and it was just two people talking and I thought is this going to work at all yeah. terrified did not know and the other thing is, when I was in Dramstock, I was putting on plays left, right and centre that I was writing. You'd write a play in three or four days, throw it up a couple yeah. of weeks later, fearless. But once you're in the realm where you know that there's going to be four Sunday newspapers in yeah. on the second or third night, <laughs> you know, it's, you, you kind of, I kind of had to give myself a pep talk and say, where's your, where's the, where's your courage gone? Where's yeah. the fearlessness that you had gone? So we just threw it up and we honestly thought, if I had been two weeks in theatre upstairs, I would have been delighted just to do it. Mm. There you go. You know, it just shows you. You know, if you you put something out there, people do respond. It's. I think that's the one thing I've always had to kind of get over, is that. You know, I have got something to say. People are interested, and if you put something out there, you know, people people will respond. We're all the same. So if you're if you're saying something about life and the human condition and people, uh, as insignificant as it seems, uh, two people having a chat in a bathroom for those who haven't seen the play. Um, people really connected to it and I think sometimes if a play is good and it's and it's simple people respond to that because theatre is in Dublin and Ireland is 
is a is a huge mix. It's one of the things about class the play I just did in the Dublin Theatre Festival. People were going, it's it's um it's funny just to see a play play. Yeah. You know? I know. And it's not a knock against plays that aren't. Sure. Um, you know, everything everything is, is welcome, but it seems to be like um if they're not done well, they can seem old fashioned and a bit redundant and yeah, whatever else. That's certainly the attitude. I think that's yeah, I, yeah. I, look, I'm no fan of you know stuff being experimental for experimental sake. I think there's no harm in putting on a really quality show with great writing, great actors that audiences want to come and see and have a great night out while they're there. You know, mm. um, I think there's no shame at all in that. Um, so you won awards for for Eden as well, though. Yeah, one um, one of the Stuart Parker awards, the, the BBC Northern Ireland Radio Drama Award. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's just it's an, it's um it's it's really nice to uh to be able to you know put that on the CV and put it on the poster and it's just one of those things. It's like it's like it's like reviews. I'm I'm big into going. Look, the show speaks for itself, but you know social media and your poster and your reviews, you know they're there. They exist. You can't change them, and you can't change the fact that four or five stars on a poster will draw Joe Public in. Yeah. More so if that's the case, if that exists, then you have to then you have to use it. Yeah. Which is one thing I say to people all the time. They're like, you know, God, you're never off social media harping on about how great your show is or whatever. And I'm yeah. going, no, that exists in the world. So I, I'm going to if, if it, if it exists, I'm going to use it. You know. Yeah. Well, exactly. Um, and also, this is the thing of, you know, for those of us who aren't just a freelance gun for hire actor waiting for the phone to ring but out making our own work as kind of as a producer you got to get the work out there you got to get the word out on it you got to get people in to see it there's no shame at all on that absolutely not no I mean you want uh, as many people to see it as possible and um, and yeah so something like that the, uh, the award is very nice it's also a bit a bit uh, surreal and ultimately not as important as what's what's in the play yeah but you know, great to be great to be recognised. And um, did it feel like a seal of approval for you to go? You know, like now to be back at the writing end of things as well. Kind of going, okay, well, look, I'm putting out into the world what I want to put out there, and, and people, as you say, people are responding to it, and, and clearly very positively. Yeah, no, and it, it really, it, um, I learned loads from the producing side. I learned loads even from the writing side again, and um, it's definitely uh, pushed me to be at the laptop yeah. writing more. Um, because it's become a kind of a trend. I mean, I, I spoke at a theatre forum earlier this year, and uh, not all actors are writers. So there's certain ones that were saying, like, you know, I shouldn't have to feel the pressure to write. But if you can and you want it, that's become a thing now with the, you know, stuff like you're probably one of the first ones, showing a bag. Yeah. And, um, and that kind of thing, you see more and more of it because it is that. You know, it is that thing of we have to sometimes make our own work, but also about what, as an actor, what kind of roles do you want to play? Because it's very easy for you to be good in one role, and people say, "Well, that's what he or she does." Yeah, exactly. And doesn't wrong with that either. But there comes a point where, what do I actually want to do? How do I want to mix it up a little bit? Well, it's that thing of taking control of your career and having a bit of agency over what you want to be doing. Because I mean, an awful lot of the time, the only power that we have as actors is just to go is to turn stuff down and say I won't do that Yeah. but um, to be able to go actually actively this is what I want to do and be able to do that I, I think is awesome speaking of which that kind of ethos of just getting out and making work happen and getting it done talk to me about the goo 
uh, because I like I'm one of the biggest fans of the goo. I thought it was absolutely awesome. Yeah, the goo. Yeah, and the frustrating thing about the goo is that we have so much uh, good material filmed uh, for like the second season from like two and a half, three years ago. But uh, we actually our DOP got their camera stolen. Oh jeez! So we like on a, on a nothing budget, we lost three days filming, and then of course. Uh, by the time we try and get it set up again, half the actors have moved to London or are working or are on jobs. But um, that again started as myself and Dave Fleming uh, being inspired by stuff like the trip and want, wanting to write something funny together, but also use the model of the Jonesy and Dave characters and to create fictional characters, but put in kind of certain truths yeah. about ourselves. And um, and it was a random one. It was just one of those nights where we were like we should do it uh, okay well if we set up a, a funded page and people our mates give us money then we have to do it and it came from that but we kind of allowed ourselves no restrictions if an episode was 7 minutes it was 7 if it was 17 that's grand there was no it was what it was and that was it was just great fun and again it's mad you just show it up on YouTube and people people respond to it you know all of a sudden you're getting text messages and emails from people going oh, only chance I can be in this so uh it's mad. We hopefully get it finished this winter. If we do, it'll be the greatest cast ever assembled on anything in the history yeah. of Irish film, TV, theatre, web series because it's literally everyone is in it. <laughs> I love that. But it became it kind of became that thing after everyone saw the first series. They're going, "This is deadly." I definitely want to be in the next one. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just a, it's just a mad little thing. And um, interesting in that it, we kept it very simple. But I was directing it, so that was it. Was an interesting to get you know even though I was in it just to be in an editing room even though it's only a 10 minute web series or you know per episode there was still something about watching how that side works yeah and um, any time you can get in front of a camera where you're going to show it to the public is a huge uh, lesson in what works and how to be relaxed in front of a camera yeah which is um, talk to me then about what you like what do you like in a director what do you like in someone appearing with you on stage what do you like in just in terms of going to see stuff yourself what what pushes your buttons um, just clarity and simplicity you know after five seconds how an actor stands on a stage what you're going to get yeah um, just conviction from actors I love you know just commitment to every moment yeah um, and you can see it you can feel it you know um, with direction I think the best directors I've worked with have always been having they know how to talk to actors they don't have to say a lot and they never say anything that they know the actor knows very interesting you know what I mean yeah like so um, I don't know you should never have to tell a professional actor to um, just you know to listen to each other you can say it but we we know that yeah um, take that one as given yeah like things like that you know um, and it's always uh, they always know good directors I think always know what direction you're heading in where you're trying to get to and they can see it and all they're doing is just removing the little roadblock you yeah. know yeah. I know you know where you're going but to help you get there a little bit quicker what if it's what if it's this yeah and it's funny they're usually never wrong <laughs> the good ones but yeah. it's that thing of, of of knowing when to leave an actor alone 
knowing when they need it. It's, I always equate it to like football, good man management. You know, when does someone need a kick up the hole and when do they need an arm around the shoulder? And, and, um, and patience. So sometimes, you know, we all know how long it takes to look. I always go into a rehearsal room, especially if it's new people, mm. and say, look, I'm just going to do this now. It's going to be shit for a week, but just we'll let that. me figure it out. Yeah. Plus, as well, they have to, good directors know that um, it takes an audience before actually any of us know anything yeah. about the piece. Yeah. Because I remember going up to Gary Hines and, you know, uh, I only I was doing the second Drew Murphy tour. So this has already been an award-winning production. All the actors knew it and I was coming into it with seven days rehearsals. Jesus. I remember on the, just before the preview, I was in Galway and I said to Gary, I goes, Gary, can I talk to you? Yeah. I just, I'm just feeling like it's a bit general, it's a bit broad. And she goes, ah, yeah, it is. But once you get in front of an audience, you'll be grand. And I knew that. It was just like something to say to Gary. Like, and, um, and I was just feeling a bit insecure about yeah. the whole thing. And she was right. As soon as the first laugh went in, I went, oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Like back with, with Dubliners, one of the two stories, I had a, the main part in was uh, Two Gallants. And it was like, we had tried it every which way. And myself and Gus McDonough were looking at each other going, what is it? What are we missing? What are we not getting? And of course, as soon as we went out, we did a funny slow motion walk. And I said the first line and the audience cracked up. And I went, ah, oh, it's vaudeville. Yeah. Eight weeks of rehearsals to go. Actually, it's just this is what it is now. Yeah. Thanks very much. Um, and directors kind of know that. Yeah, it's a funny one. Aoife Spillane Hinks said it to me, and I think she got it from Alan Stanford that um, one of the tricks to being a good director is not just giving the right note, but it's giving the right note at the right time. Yeah. And that thing of like in week one rehearsals, don't give someone a note from week four in week one. Let them. You got to build. You got to construct that performance. Yeah. Um, on stage with you then what do you look for or where, how do you know if it's gelling or if you're if, if you're really sparking off someone um, it's like it's an intangible feeling you get off good actors you know it's it's the um, it's how good actors hide hide their tricks wow okay you know what I mean yeah like we all have like, like me and my mates have a game and it's called Battleship. So, for example, if I came to see you, right, and <laughs> yes. I'd seen you loads, yeah. we'd play, we might play Battleship Engo. <laughs> so I go, Engo's going to do that laugh he does, yeah. or Engo's going to do that hand gesture he does, yeah. or whatever. So, um, you know, that manipulation of an audience, but how it's hidden. And also, it's, you figure out very early, I mean, I remember, you know, not to harp on about, you know, them being a great company, but I remember working with the lads in Druid on Tom Murphy plays, and they're great players, obviously. But it was, um, they had just done a big tour of this show and they were coming back to re-rehearse it. And yet the level of interest in the work, the, le- uh, the passion of talking about each syllable, yeah. you know, and you could see that. And it was like, even though we're playing to an audience, there's that feeling of really good actors that they're just there with you. It's in the eyes. Yeah. It's like there's no audience there. Yeah. And yet they're still playing them like a, you know, a fiddle. But, um, but yeah, I don't know what it is. It's that, you know, what makes a good actor? I don't know. It's just a feeling. You know, someone walks on and they make you feel comfortable. Someone on stage challenges you, makes you raise your game. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's how, how, how someone picks up their cue. Right. And you, you know this is an actor. Yeah. I think, I think you can smell it a mile away yeah. with the good ones. I think yeah, I remember being told years ago, I was working with a director called Shane Gately and I'd done a few plays with him. And Shane had been an actor, interesting guy. He'd been in the army, and he kind of, kind of gave it up for a while and drifted in and out of it. And um, but he was going like, 
you gave me a compliment to say that when you come on stage, audiences relax. So that's a quality that you find, I find when I watch theatre. Yeah. Straight away, I go, ah, okay, lovely. Here's someone now I can just sit back now and they know what they're safe doing. hands. They're in control. Yeah. And it's easy to kind of imagine them. Are you allowed to tell me about any exciting things that are coming up in vague terms? Vague, vague, vague. Yeah, well, I imagine that uh, the class that was in the Dublin Theatre Festival will be back. Which I mean, was class. It was, was really class. deadly. Yeah, no. Um, I did some development on it last year. We did like a rehearsed reading for a few for a few people and did like two days work on it. And um, it's funny as well that there was, there's a, in that I play a dad who's going to a parent-teacher meeting, but I also play this, his son. Yeah. And it's funny, when you do a reading of something, a part of you just go, you know, is this, is this, is this going to work? It's one thing sitting there reading these, these kids, but when we got up and actually did it, the response to it was, was great. Yeah. But that's another good thing about a new script. That's, it, was, it was surprising, which is what I try to do with From Eden. I want, after 10 minutes of a play, I want the audience to think it's one thing. So for From Eden, you think it's in a kind of an awkward, weird, romantic comedy. Yeah. A kind of comedy of misunderstanding, if you like. Uh, with Class, you think it's going to be like a, a Roddy Doyle, Dublin, um, oh, the middle class and the working class, and they, miss, and they don't get each other. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it takes you somewhere that you, you, that you haven't quite expected, and, and stereotypes get broken down a little bit, and you start to see real people. I think that's what people responded to. I was surprised that people were as emotionally impacted by it. Right. I thought it would be purely about how many laughs were in the show. Wow. So it surprised even me. Yeah. And I'm, I've been working on it for a long time. Uh, and in terms of your own writing projects, have we more of that coming down the track? Absolutely, yeah. I just, I'd finished a, a new play, which I'm, it's very similar to From Eden, and that's two people who are strangers who meet, and um, I'm still kind of fascinated by that idea, how, how, how strangers can impact each other's lives in very small ways, but ultimately very big ways. And that's... Um, I just did a, a, a reading of it with two of my favourite actors, Claire Monley and Claire Dunn. All the Claire's. If you're not a Claire, you're not in it. Um, uh, just to get a flavour of it and read it out loud for the first time. And uh, yeah, we think it's, it's nearly ready to go. So it'll just be about trying to find time next year mm. and, uh, and you know get someone to more than likely do it with myself. Um, we'll see. But uh, yeah, that's, that's that going on and I'm trying to... Uh, Try to write a movie. That's the other amazing thing about From Eden. You write a play, uh, people do take notice. Yeah. So all of a sudden you're getting phone calls from film companies and they're saying, can we have a meeting? Have you any ideas? And all of a sudden you're going, what ideas do I have? Yeah. And they're saying, we really like this idea. Let's, let's try and do something and get some money so we can go and write thing. <laughs> so there's, the there's all that. There's a lot of stuff going on, nothing, nothing too concrete, but it's, um, it's definitely, that's my, that's my December is pretty much at the laptop. Very nice. Yeah. And uh, Mazen Bricks will be back with Fish Amble as well, um, which should be nice. I think they're going to try and time that to be visiting several theatres around, hopefully, referendum time. Yeah. Which will be great. Very interesting. Well, I look forward to it. Jonesy, thank you so much for coming in for the chat. That was absolutely awesome. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, and I look forward to seeing plenty more of you on stages around the country very soon. Thanks very much. 
So there you have it, the great Stephen Jones. Wonderful conversation. Lovely to hang out with Jonesy for a while. He's a guy who I have an awful lot of time for. Um, and again, just that guy, I, I really respect his his work ethic and his hustle. He's a guy who's out there getting it done and a phenomenally talented guy. So look, that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on around the country. And of course, Rise Productions is on the road with The Good Father. Uh, tonight, as you listen to this, we are in the Marketplace Theatre in Armagh. And tomorrow, Saturday, we are at the Lime Tree Theatre in Limerick. Next week we'll be in the Pavilion in Dunleary on Wednesday the 29th and then we will be finishing up this tour uh, in the Civic Theatre in Tala from December 5th to December 9th. We'd love to see you there. And as we look around the country then at the Abbey Theatre, they have let the right one in with the brilliant Katie Honan and the wonderful Craig Connolly. Certainly very well worth checking that one out. The Board Gosh has Sunset Boulevard and that'll be followed in there by Cabaret which I saw on Broadway two years ago this week would you imagine? Would you believe uh, with the great Emma Stone. Um, uh, the Viking Theatre has Judas starring Andy Murray for its last couple of performances and that'll be followed by As Time Goes By. Uh, Strutting and Fretting continues at Bewley's Cafe Theatre with the great Chris McCallum. Uh, the Red Shoes is at the Gate Theatre. Close to the Sun is at Driacht over in Blanche and uh, Body Language by David Bulger is continuing at the RHA Gallery where I made my theatrical debut 21 years ago. Unbelievable. Um, Sacrament continues at Theatre Upstairs and then the Gaiety Panto is getting underway uh, with the great Rapunzel there. Uh, the new theatre in Temple Bar has the Restoration of Hope. And then as we go a bit further afield around the country, the Town Hall in Galway has just the ticket and then they'll also have Ballet Ireland's Romeo and Juliet. Town Hall in Galway, one of my favourite venues in the country. We were back there on Monday evening. Great to get down to to Galway and to catch up with some old friends down there. Um, Then as we go south to Cork, the Everyman has this beach and this beach will also be heading north to the Lyric Theatre in Belfast and they also have what the reindeer saw at the Lyric by the great Grimes and McKee. So that's our roundup and that's us that is episode three in the books we will of course be back next week for another chat with one of ireland's leading theater makers but in the meantime this has been the rise productions irish theater podcast for angus og mcanally i'm angus og mcanally we'll see you next week <laughs> <laughs>